0: And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these, little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Well, good morning. As I look out here, I'm a little surprised. When I first turned around, there were three of you, and now there's a few more. I told somebody there'll probably be about 12 people and a goat here because of... uh, 4th of July weekend, but here we are. And whatever it is, we're going to worship anyway. Well, this morning, I'd, what I'd like to do is to talk to you about something that's very near and dear to my heart, the passage of the gospel that we just read. It's a big passage. It's small in, in terms of verses and, and words, but it's got enormous implications and complexities to it. I backed up a little bit and started with the first verse of, of Matthew 10, where Jesus calls the disciples to himself and gives them authority for the first time to go out and to become his apostles. And that's important to note that this is the moment where that, that everything shifts for them. Before they have been followers, they've been learners, they've been uh, following him around sitting, watching him do what he does, listening to him. Uh, asking questions, and now all of a sudden Jesus says, Now, it's time for you to get up on your own two feet and to go. And I give you authority in my name to go do all the things that you've seen me do. I give you authority to heal. I give you authority to bless. I give you the authority to raise the dead, to cast out demons. Most of all, I give you the authority to do the one thing that we need to do over and over and over again to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near to you. He gave them apostolic authority for a reason. See, the, the, the way Jesus looks at the authority of, that God has given him and the way Jesus uses that authority and what, what we call the established church and the mission of the church is sometimes it gets a little twisted up in our minds. I think sometimes we get back and front and front and back and and we sort of forget the order that Jesus uses to send his 12. He says, first, remember what the mission is. The mission is for you to be very clear. Don't complicate the message. The message is simple. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And here's how you will know that the kingdom of God has come near to you. When we do heal the sick, when we do raise the dead, when a demon is cast out, today we call those signs and wonders. And that's exactly what they are. They are signs and wonders of of God's power unleashed into the world. Jesus gives authority over all creation. He doesn't limit the authority. He doesn't specifically spell it out. He does give pretty extensive instructions if you read the rest of of Matthew 10 all the way to the end, you'll you'll see that he's, he's pretty explicit with some of the do's and don'ts. But what he's most explicit about is here's the message. And this is what I want you to get. The message is the kingdom of God and all God's goodness and all God's grace, all God's favor has come near to you today. I said that he gives authority over creation. He does. You know, you can pray creation prayers. You realize that? I'll tell you a quick story. There was a a friend of mine who was sitting on an airplane. He was gonna be the the keynote speaker at a conference and he uh, arrives at the airport, gets on the airplane and huge thunderstorms pop up. And he's sitting on the runway and the pilot says, we're gonna be here for four or five hours. And he looks at his, his watch, quickly grabs his phone and frantically starts looking for other flights. And, and he realizes after a few minutes, I'm trusting my telephone. I could be praying, but I'm, I'm letting the iPhone be God for me in this moment. So he looks out of the window and he, he looks up and there are these just giant black, billowing thunderheads all around. And he looks at, at one of them and he says, "You." need to go over there. And you need to go over there. And you need to go back here. And about 10 minutes later, the pilot came on and said, I don't know how it happened, but there's a hole that that has opened up and the the tower has given us clearance to take off. So off they went. It was very simple. He knew that he had the authority to pray in that way because he had been released by Jesus himself. He had allowed Jesus to look him in the face and say, go and do these things in my name. Take authority, use the gifts that I've given you, pray in faith, be steadfast, be bold. You know, it's it's really interesting when we, we talk about the mission of the church, and I think this is where I used to get a little confused when I, when I became truly converted. The, kind of the first image I had of myself was bouncing across the plains of Africa in a, in a, on the buckboard of a Jeep with a black cassock and a big black hat and a Bible under my arm and, and not being very happy about any of those things. But um, that's, not the way it, that's not the way God works in us. He takes our, our unique gifts and He says, I'm gonna amplify those gifts in you. I'm not gonna make you something you never were. I'm gonna take who you essentially are and I'm gonna amp that up so that that you are an apostle to me for the kingdom of God. I went back the other day and and reread Paul's epistles. You know, we tend to think of of Paul as as the great missionary, and he was. There's no question about it. He, He went everywhere, planted churches. Uh, wrote letters and as you read those letters and I would commend it to you to to go back and uh, you ought to read the epistles all the time but once in a while just take them and scan them for, for a particular topic what I was looking for was what was Paul's exhortation to the churches that he had planted as he wrote these letters if you'll read them carefully what you'll find is like in the letter to the Romans be filled with the Spirit Letter to the Philippians. Be in unity. Love one another. Letter to the Galatians. Repent. Return to your first love. Exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Colossians. Preach Him and Christ. Christ only and Him crucified. Ephesians. Be prepared. And I could go on and on and on. Because there are more epistles. But the point is... Is what he never says, is what I want you to do is to go be missionaries. What he's saying, what I want you to do is to be faithful. I want you to to get a a real solid grasp on what it means to be engrafted in me. I planted Apollos waters, God who gives the growth. Be fruitful. Multiply, preach the gospel. And which gospel is he talking about preaching? He's, what he's saying is, preach the Jesus that we presented to you to other people. And you don't have to worry about taking up your garments and going off and, and planting churches and all that. I've planted churches, Paul says. And you know, I think they're enough. I think I've lit fires all over this part of the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's gonna be enough one day. I think these churches are gonna explode. I think the world is gonna explode. I think it's gonna become the Christian era like nothing that we've ever seen. And he was right. He was dead right. But he expected that. But what he expected out of his people, the people in the churches, was that they locked their eyes on Jesus Christ and they never took them off. They said that is the way, that's the word, that is where life is, that's where power is, that's where freedom is. You know, if you, just to be consistent with this, this theme, if you went and looked at the letters to the churches that you find in the Revelation to, of John, you'll see exactly the same thing. Scripture says, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus and Smyrna and so on and so so forth. And here's what you tell them. Tell them where they have fallen short. Tell them where they have erred. Tell them where they have missed the mark. Tell them to come back. Tell them to repent. Tell them to remember. Never once does it say, tell them to go plant a church. And look, church planting is great. I love it. This is a church plant. It's wonderful stuff. But first, let's get right who we're serving and why we're serving. Let's first understand that our first mission is to proclaim the power of God released in people's lives so that their lives can be transformed and they can be set free. That's our first mission. In many ways, that may be our only mission. to proclaim that over and over and over. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That seems like a horrible message to me. I mean, really? That's, that's what you want to lead with, Paul? You want to lead with, with this great guy, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who healed and, and walked among people and loved Him and was full of compassion? And your lead is that He was nailed to a tree? Paul goes, yeah, I do. Because that's where salvation comes. That was the necessary price. And that's what we live under. We live under the cross and the shed blood. The necessary price. You know, too, there's there's an image that I get sometimes about people that, that first come into... A full-face meeting with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. They, when we get converted, I always told people, I should have been locked in a room for about six months. Um, I just was screaming Jesus' name everywhere and saying, I need to tell you about my Jesus. You got a minute and people were going, get this guy off of me. You get infected that way, you almost can't help it. And, you know, it reminds me of the story of the woman at the well in Sychar. <clears throat> She meets Jesus, he tells her all these stories about her life, about the husbands that she's had and the one that's not her husband now, who will not give her a divorce. And what does she do? She drops everything that she has, she goes running into the village and she says, this guy told me everything about my life, everything. Can you believe it? He knows everything that's ever happened to me. He's either a prophet. I think think he was speaking somewhat prophetically, but I think mostly he was using uh, words of knowledge with her and saying, "This this is where you are. This is who you are. She was so excited that all she wanted to do was connect the next person with Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he told me. Let me tell you what he said. Her first instinct was not to run out and form a mission society. Her first instinct was to be that apostolic witness and presence to the power and the word of Jesus himself. Now there's nothing wrong with mission societies. I I helped form one. This church is a part of one. Uh, I still belong to one and I still help lead one. But my first response as a Christian is not to, to talk about the mission society as much as to talk about what changed my life? What made a difference to me? What have I got to offer you that could possibly make a difference to you? How can I open-handedly come and say, all that I've got, I'll be happy to share with you. I'll be happy to pray with you, to cry with you, talk with you. I'll do all these things because the heart of God compels me to do nothing less. You know, Jesus said, the Son only does what He sees the Father doing. I can imagine all those times that Jesus goes off to pray. But one of the questions that He's probably asking, this is speculation on my part, but I, I don't think it's far off the mark, is saying, Father, is it Your will that I heal that man? or that woman, or this cast out this demon from this man and set him free? Is it your will that I speak truth over this crowd of people? Is it your will that I sort of stir things up a little bit so that people ask the right questions? You know, I think seldom do you see Jesus just acting on his own volition. He's always saying the Son only does what he sees the Father doing. I wish we were more that way. If you're at all like me, what what, what I tend to do is to uh, start in on something, get it um, well organized, presented, and then at the end of the time go, Lord, um, we're gonna come together now, and we're gonna pray, and we're gonna ask you to bless this. Instead of asking for authority ahead of time, and to say, Lord, would you give us the authority to enter into this? It looks like you might be up to something. Would you give me the authority to step into that or do you want me to step back and watch? Whatever it is, I'll take either one. But we need to remember that, that that's where our authority comes from. Comes through Jesus giving it to us, it's a gift. One last thing. We are never, ever to let the light of the gospel to be extinguished in us. We are to be like a city set on a hill, literally, that nobody can miss, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. If we can do that, God will be glorified in this place, in East Dallas, in the Metroplex, in Texas, in the United States, and all over the world. And that will have become the mission of the church. If we can begin to see that more and more as our mission and our field, our call, our responsibility, and worry less about some other things, to get that primary focus of saying, this is what I need to be focused in on tightly. God will give it glory, he will give it power, he will give it authority. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you are more than willing to invest power and authority in us. It's amazing that you trust us that much. And give us hearts that trust you equally, that we can just say, Lord Jesus, come and have your way with us. Do whatever you want, whatever you will. In your name, amen.